1110. Good. Beautiful. Uh, is this on? Am I? I'm on. It's working good. Okay. Can't tell. Gosh, this thing is tall. It's totally made for Chad. <laughs> Designer church for six foot six people. Uh, yeah, now I know why he stands out from here. I, mean, I feel like it's a necktie or something. Uh, yeah, I'm Brad, and uh, I'm from San Diego. And I get the privilege of talking to you today. And whether it was uh, Chad's fallop or my fallop, I, this is the way it worked out. So uh, my apologies if it messed up uh, some of the scheduling around here and uh, probably messed up my schedule too. I'm, Chad and I were joking. Where was I supposed to be today? Man, is there yeah, some church out in El Centro that's like, where is that guy? Yeah. All right. this, is, this is killing me. Okay. Uh, I need to hook it or something. Whatever. Uh, man, where do I start? Um, I was uh, born in San Francisco, and uh, my dad was in the Navy, and uh, my mom uh, was a Christian. My dad wasn't a Christian. Uh, he got transferred down to San Diego, and uh, so I grew up down there, and uh, Grew up around the corner from this uh, funky church uh, that was going on, and uh, eventually uh, got into the uh, surfing scene. Yeah, that's what you know a lot of guys in San Diego do, especially if you live near the ocean. And uh, my best friend got saved when he was a senior in high school. I was a junior in high school. He got saved, and he invited me out to this church uh, where he came to know the Lord. And I was pretty disappointed in him for coming to know the Lord. And I'm, I'm really chopping down the story because I've got one hour, but there's a lot I want to tell you. And... Uh, <laughs> And I, I was very disappointed anyway, but he was my best friend, so I came out with him. And uh, I uh, sat in the back of the room. We had this, uh, this church had a, about three, 400 people coming on Sunday morning. But on Wednesday nights, they'd have between uh, like 800 and 1,000 high school guys coming to listen to this youth pastor. So it was a pretty interesting scene. And this guy was a riveting speaker. I didn't know that initially. Uh, he came up, he started talking, and within about five minutes, I was really ticked off at the guy. He was talking about heaven and hell and, and sin and righteousness and judgment and all the things that I was going to go to hell for, which I knew. It was not a, a big dilemma to me. I knew I was going to hell. Um, it was just, you know, I was having such a great time. Uh, and uh, anyway, <laughs> there it is. But uh, even as I was upset at the guy, uh, I realized, man, I'm going to come back. I will come back because I had nobody talking to me like that in my life. And I came back and I listened and I listened and I listened for quite a few months. And you know how he shared the gospel kept me from becoming a Christian for months. And here's how he presented the gospel to us, guys. And he did this every Wednesday night uh, without fail. Uh, you, know, you know, he'd teach on various things for Christians. And then he, you know, again, uh, established the gospel message. And the gospel went like this. And to accept Christ, you need to understand there's nothing you can do to add to it. He did it all. What he did on that cross is completely sufficient. All you can do is say, thank you, God. I'm accepted because of that blood that was shed for me. But you do need to understand that once you accept that sacrifice, your life is over. He buys you out. He owns you. It's all about him. You're not a free agent. You belong to him at that point. And you're, you're done with it. And you know what? I, I understood it. And you know what? He, he always backed it up with scripture. He always, you know, had the, the, the backing of the word of God to, to, to talk like that. And you know what? It's very biblical. In fact, it resonated within me. I mean, it seems like a fair deal uh, that man of God, really God, I mean, the creator of the ends of the earth, if he came down here, lived and died for me and for me to have that, man, surely the, the other part of the deal is that I'm his. That made sense. And, and all throughout scripture, you see that. But you know, again, I was having so much fun. And so I, I kept listening, I kept coming, and I wanted to become a Christian. I had been elected captain of the school surf team, and so I had more parties than ever to go to, uh, be, you know, from the middle of my junior and senior year there in, in uh, summertime there. And I came back, uh, you know, I bailed on the youth group for the summer because you couldn't do the parties, so you didn't do the youth group at the same time. It just didn't jive in my head. And I uh, came back in the beginning of my senior year, and, uh, man, I, I just felt filthy. 
I felt filthy. I, I knew morally, man, I transgressed every law that was out there. And uh, beginning of October, I accepted Christ as my Savior. And, and again, just want to establish that. So I got saved when I was a senior in high school. But this youth pastor had a passion. Uh, he, he felt like he was going to use the high schools in San Diego as recruiting grounds for missionaries. And uh, he made no bones about it, that that's what he was doing. And uh, he told us on a regular basis, I don't want any of you becoming youth pastors. I've got San Diego covered. Get out of here. Get out of here. And he'd bring missionaries in all the time. Yeah, just, this thing's killing me. Uh, he'd bring missionaries in all, yeah, hey, Mitch, dial me in here or something like that, because it keeps going like that. Uh, he'd bring missionaries in all the time. Guys from Africa, South America, Asia, Asia Minor, places like that. And uh, these guys are talking about people groups. Thanks, buddy. You're the best. Uh, that never had a chance to hear. I was like, oh, come on, whatever. You know, and I'm telling my friends at school about, man, what Christ did for me, man, from being a moral wretch. And they all knew what I was. Uh, man, to having a new life, man, being clean finally before my father. And I was telling guys about what it was to be a believer, a follower of Jesus, as best I knew it. And they're, they're like, yeah, Brad, you needed it. Yeah, Brad, that's good. Glad for you. Glad for you. So I'm getting out at school. And at the same time, I'm hearing guys coming in from all corners of the earth. And they're talking about people that had never had one chance to hear the name of Jesus Christ. Like, what's up with this? And then I've got a youth pastor who's teaching us some of the same stuff you're hearing from Chad. Man, the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus' last words there. In fact, if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Uh, Matthew, if you turn there, let's just reestablish it. I know this isn't new stuff. This isn't like Jay Leno or I have writers spitting out new material all the time. <laughs> Matthew 28, old stuff. And you know what? Until we obey the old stuff, we better keep hearing the old stuff. Until we've accomplished what the old stuff commands us to do, it is very, very pertinent and relevant. So let's not be saying of any passage, well, I've read that before. I've had people actually get upset with me because, man, I heard you preach that. Well, what did you do? Well, I'm still a carpenter. Well, I'm still baking cookies. I'm still, whatever. Uh, Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Man, Jesus' last words. And right after, that's the, that's the end of the book. That's the end of the book. His last words. My dad was in the Navy. Uh, he left us a lot of times. And you know what? I knew the difference between last words. And no one ever taught me about this. I didn't even know there was such a thing as a dying will and testament. But the last words a person said, because my dad showed me, you better listen up. People aren't messing around at the end of their lives. They're not messing around with their last words. You know, you can have great discussions and fun times and go to Disneyland, you know, when you've got, you know, years and years to play with it. But at the end of the days, and when my dad would leave us, he typically left us at the airport. Man, he wasn't fooling around. You listen well. And those last things he gave me to do, I better get them done. Uh, turn over, if you would, to Luke chapter 24 and see Jesus' same heart there. And these, again, were things our youth pastor was teaching us every Wednesday night. Yeah, we couldn't go off to Suriname. We couldn't go off to Venezuela. We couldn't go off to Mongolia. We couldn't go off to New Guinea. We were high school kids. And so the command had to be lived out there. But he was challenging us, when you're done, get out of here, get moving, get moving. Luke 24, it's a different passage here, but we see at the end of Luke, same, same, same thrust, verse 45, chapter 24, verse 45. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Jesus comes in among them, he opens their mind, and he told them this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. All nations, and that word there isn't Germany, New Guinea, Mongolia, China. That word nation is ethnicities, people groups, language differentiations, ethnic differentiations. Right now, today, over four and a half ethnic groups, four and a half thousand ethnic groups have never once heard the name of Jesus Christ. 
His last words clearly committed to us. I had a guy up in Oregon. This is like in the middle of summertime. Uh, I was doing a missions conference. Why they had me come to a missions conference? I couldn't figure out. Uh, the associate pastor came up to me after three days of talking to the church. You know, I'm mean, seeing some folks really get excited. And he came up and I could tell this guy was kind of a flatliner uh, during the whole conference. And he came up to me. He said, you know, uh, that's really good that you're excited about, you know, the, the job that Jesus has left behind for us to do. But, you know, what? I'm really more about him. I'm more about Jesus than about the task he left behind for us to do. First, I felt like my pants were down around my ankles. Where do I begin to take apart that kind of thinking? See, you know, it's, that'd be like me walking up to my wife. We've got four kids. We've got a bunch of grandkids. And walking up to my wife and saying, honey, you know, I really love you, but I don't know about these kids. I'm really into you, but I don't know about these guys. I can't love her and not love her kids. They go together. For us to love our Savior... He loves the world. See, missions isn't a word. It's not a, it's not a paradigm. It's not a nationality issue. It's not a statistic issue. These are men and women made in the image of Jesus Christ. And he shed his blood for them. And the fact that 2,000 years have passed since he commanded, not suggested, not tossed it out as an idea, not hinted at it. He commanded, you, my sons and daughters, you, my follower, your task is now to leave your country for the first time in the, na- in the history of the world The people of God were not supposed to stay in the land for about 3000 years of Israelite history. Stay in the land, stay in the land, stay in the land. Now Jesus turns it on its head and he says, no, leave your place, leave your Israelite ground. You go to the nations. Yes, I know that's not safe. Yes, I know it's costly. Yes, I know it means severing of ties with families and friends and, and all kinds. Yes, I'm very aware of that. Do it. I left heaven. Jesus in John 20 says, as the father hath sent me, so send I you. He's very aware of what it means. He says, get over it and do it. I paid the price. You're my sons and daughters. You are my hands and feet. We see the same thing here. Nations. How can it be? And you know, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we're well educated as a church. It's not a knowledge issue at this point. It's a different issue, and we'll get there later on here. And just lastly here in Acts chapter 1, if we want to, again, just cover a passage that uh, impacted me so greatly. And, you know, it's interesting. uh, When we look at Matthew's passage, uh, Jesus is speaking to his disciples on a mountainside somewhere in Galilee. Okay, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And this is the very, uh, we, we do know this. It's, this is the last time Jesus would speak to his followers. The very, very last time he would speak to his followers before he went back into heaven. And Acts chapter 1 starts off like this. So when they met together, they asked him, Jesus is on this mountainside with the, with the disciples. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? These, his followers had read their Bibles. His followers knew that following the coming of the Messiah, that Israel was promised to be, to be restored to national greatness. Okay? And their, their question was, was right. It was valid. It was appropriate. It just wasn't on target. They wanted to have a, a discussion. They wanted to have a debate on end times. They wanted to talk about eschatology. And Jesus, is real, Jesus knows I'm only here for maybe 30 more seconds with you guys. He doesn't say this to them, but he realizes I'm going back to my father. And so I'm not going to talk about eschatology. I'm not going to talk about how to raise your kids. I'm not going to talk about how to be a better husband or a better wife. I'm not going to talk about numerous valid topics. I'm not minimizing those. But at the end of Jesus life, he had one topic that he continued to go to again and again and again. And so he sets aside the topic they want to talk about 
And he answers them like this. He says in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. You don't need to know that. That's what he's telling those guys. They want to know, uh, now you're going to set up your kingdom. He says, you don't need to know that. You'll be just fine not knowing the appropriate and the exact time. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before the very eyes and the cloud hid him from their sight. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, three parts of that command, three parts of that command have been fulfilled. <laughs> I hear this all the time. Well, we got to reach our Jerusalem first. Yeah, if you lived in Jerusalem, that'd be an appropriate way to maybe think. But you don't live in Jerusalem. You live in Bakersfield. And Jerusalem has churches. Jerusalem has churches. Judea has churches. Samaria has churches. The ends of the earth, folks, this is the task left behind for us to do. And I'm so grateful for a youth pastor who just blasted my face and i wanted to surf for god uh, once i got saved i was doing surfing contests and i was all over that whole idea and i had a lot of uh, affirmation in my youth group I had a lot of guys saying brad go for it man that, that that's incredible it's a natural fit uh, man you've been doing this and man you'll have a, a, this really cool platform to speak of jesus and what he's done for you and man i was talking to guys already man uh, go for it go for it go for it except for this stinking youth pastor who kept teaching us the scriptures he would not affirm us. He would not validate us. He continued to teach us truth. And I didn't really want to hear it. But I remember the first verses I memorized as a Christian. If you turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to cover this. Because it's, it's had, those things had such a huge part in shaping me. You know, what we come into, how we come into the faith, how we come into being followers of Jesus really does determine a lot of how far we will go. If we come into Jesus like he's a slot machine and we want to buy a Coca-Cola and we want to get our kids uh, you know, off drugs and we want this and maybe uh, get rid of this bad habit, we'll probably always see him in a sense as a slot machine. There to serve us. Man, our little credit card, our, our get-out-of-jail card. Man, it'll, it'll insure me a nice trophy wife, you know, and a house and pick up the American dream. Uh, if, we, if, we, if we come into faith, if that's even possible, on, the, on, that, on those terms... Man, it goes, it's just so detrimental. I'm thankful for you, pastor, who taught us these things. I remember being in the Bible study, and we memorized these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. And then we quoted them back to him as a group. It said this, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And we quoted those verses back to our youth pastor. And then you know what he did? I'll never forget this. And there were about 80 of us guys he was discipling. You know, we had a, a youth group that was almost all guys. It was, it was really weird. Uh, our youth pastor, uh, he was a machine gunner in the Korean War. Single guy, 40s, real funky, never went to the beach. Uh, he, he was the total antithesis of everything we wanted to be, except he spoke truth to us. And we came back every week to listen to this guy. And he stood up there and he said, you know what, guys, for you, because you're human beings, of course you have dreams, you have ambitions, you have goals, you have plans, you have longings. You have all those things. You're human beings. There's nothing wrong in having those things. But for you to live them out is sin. You have no right to live out your dream. You have no right to live out your goal, your ambition, your desire. You were bought at a price. You're owned by another. And the only rightful thing to do is to find out what he wants to accomplish and spend every last breath of your life living out his dream, his goal, his purpose, his ambition, his desire. It's not about you. 
I'll tell you what, I know that flies in the face. Every place I go, I was just in Germany a couple of weeks ago. Man, German youth. What? What? Man, we live, man, we're getting that stuff mainlined into us here. Your dream, find out your dream. I preached on this last week in our church and, and had a few people upset at me. Christian colleges, man, that's the appeal. What's your dream? We'll help you fulfill it. That's not even addressed anymore. I'll tell you what, it's a, it's a scary age that we live in. And Jesus' Jesus's message cuts right across of it. Well, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm grateful. I took an application for uh, missionary training, and I left uh, San Diego right after high school. Uh, got four years of missionary training. I met my wife. Uh, she was <laughs> met my wife. I won't, won't go into that one there. And uh, we got married. Uh, went to, uh, we had two little boys real quick. And uh, then we went off to the island of Papua New Guinea, which is a big island right above Australia. Uh, the language uh, is Melanesian pigeon. This will talk me walking now. We talk pigeon in. I suppose you put in Gupia, Yalong and by Nupla Hadim to setting and by Hat. I'll say, you know, got plenty. Blow you, Pilam, can come up on this. Blah, Hat. So, Bian by God on top now looking. People are buying up, blow walking two thousand. Now we must see Hat. I'll get that. And that's the trade language of the country. That's the first language you're going to learn. Uh, missions is languages. To in any way be effective, we need to know the language, we need to know the culture. Uh, you know, when I first got to New Guinea, uh, we had to learn language in the morning and in the afternoon we were given a work detail assignment. And my job uh, was to go out and to uh, chop down trees with a chainsaw and mill them up. And I was pretty impatient. I didn't like that. Uh, I, I felt like this was uh, beneath me. I'm a highly trained language learning, Bible translating, church planting missionary. And I'm out here doing the Paul Bunyan thing, which felt real good for a city boy from San Diego for about a week. And then I realized, man, a, a monkey could do this, man. I'll buy the you know bananas for the thing, you know, and let's just get trained gorillas out here to do this. This is not that difficult to mill timber up. And my attitude began to show through. And uh, some of the senior missionaries kind of hinted at me, uh, you know, hinted to me about my attitude. And uh, finally, one of them drew the short straw. He had to sit me down and talk turkey to this young buck of a missionary. And uh, I remember his name was Dale. And Dale uh, stuck out his long, bony finger. And he looks right at me. He says, who do you think you are? The Lord Jesus himself spent 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry. Who do you think you are? And that really is the soft cancerous underbelly of most missionary endeavors today, especially those that are launched from North America and Western countries. Man, we'll give blood. We'll eat anything. Just watch. You know, what is it? Uh, It's off the air now. Fear factor. Yeah. I mean, as North Americans, we'll study anything. We'll learn. We'll do all kinds of stuff, but to give our time to be appropriate, appropriate messengers man that's just the last thing that we want to do it was so difficult uh to pay our dues uh to pay our dues we we moved in among the teddies uh, finally after a few months of uh, learning language uh i'll save you the the drama of that we're going to stop now and show you a little video uh of our work among the teddies about six minutes long and uh, the video takes up if you were hiking into our house uh this is a trail that you're on it's about two minutes from our house and then uh, we'll get into god's word I give you enough warning.
The idea of living in the villages was new to the Itetis. The Itetis by nature were nomadic people. As one would guess, it was a shock for us to initially live among the Itetis. We knew nothing of their language, and they knew nothing of ours. As different as they seemed to be, we found that they too didn't enjoy having lice in their hair, spending long amounts of time to pick or squish the lice and nits. Climbing beetle nut trees to pick the nuts themselves is something every boy learns to do. Gathering beetle nut and chewing it is like their version of having a cup of mocha. It's also the preferred way of cleaning up bad breath. The majority of their time was spent just gathering food, planting gardens, hunting pigs, or poisoning fish. These were great times for our kids too. Raising them among the Itetis was something we've never regretted. As my days were occupied with learning to speak their language, Beth would be doing medical work daily, giving shots, antibiotics, worm treatments, eye ointments. This was one way of loving the Itetis that they could understand long before we could present the message of Christ to them. Nevertheless, death is relentless, especially in a climate like theirs. For the Itetis' death was a supreme frustration, the ultimate evidence their manipulation of the spirit world was not adequate. subject to a power that was out of their control. Finally, in 1985, after four and a half years of studying their language and culture, we were able to begin teaching them of God's love for them, how he showed that love by sending his son, the Christ. No background, this took seven months of teaching, five days a week. Finally, in March of 1986, the first Teddy man in the history of the world came to understand Jesus had come and died for his sins.
if you want to look at those, you know, the family and whatever like that, all of our kids are grown up now and all that stuff. And uh, we got to go back there this summer and to be with the church again and to see that uh, what God's word started, uh, God's spirit has kept going. And uh, man, I'll tell you what, to, to realize that, you know, all of New Guinea doesn't know the Lord Jesus. Uh, the Teddies haven't evangelized every people group out there. Uh, but man, there are a few mountains and valleys now uh, that the gospel light is there among them. And the Teddy people, they have a hope. They have a reason for living now. Uh, their economic conditions, if anything, are worse than some of the photos you saw there. We haven't lived among them now for eight years. And things have gone downhill in a lot of ways, you know, physically. But the church is strong. Everything I built with my hands, uh, the jungle's taken over. Our house has fallen down. Even the, I built a little half court uh, basketball court for my uh, kids to learn how to play basketball. And uh, the jungle has uprooted that thing. There. Everything we did with my hands, uh, gone. But the church is alive and strong. And uh, man, just to realize that God's word and we got to be a part of that, uh, man, impacted those guys and to see what God's spirit has built among them. Um, you know, as I said earlier, I don't think it's a knowledge issue in the church today. There's great missions magazines out there. There are missions websites. Uh, Let the nations be glad is back there. Uh, it's there for us. If we want to open our eyes and, and check it out, it's there. Uh, videos like that all over the place. It's not so much, man, what does Jesus want to accomplish? I think we're pretty clear on that, that we are his tool to reach the world. I think that gets taught here pretty frequently, and we all know how to read pretty well. And it's, again, not a lack of understanding of that. But I think really the issue comes down to who's doing the talking. Who is this one that commands us to leave our mothers, our fathers, our children, our families, our city, our country, who is this one? What does he really expect? Is it, isn't this a bit of a reach? Isn't this kind of a, a radical you know, step? You know, man, is this really what it is to be a follower of Jesus? So let's go back this morning. Let's go back to Luke 14 and just to reestablish who he is and what he said. Because I'll, I'll be real frank with you, folks. I think there's a lot of folks in my church on Sunday uh, down in San Diego, and I'm not sure who they ran into when they got saved. I think they ran into somebody that uh, a, a statement, an idea, a lifestyle, a set of theological truths. And I don't see their I don't see a, a tone of surrender about their lives. And you don't read any of Jesus followers that had their heads up like this. These were men that came broken. These are people that lost their very lives in him. Well, let's see what Jesus said here in Luke chapter 14. Uh, we'll start off in verse 25. It says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You know, it says here, large crowds were traveling with him, and Jesus turned to the crowds. He didn't turn to the three. He didn't turn to Peter, James, and John, the three inside disciples. He didn't even turn to the 12 disciples. This wasn't a qualification he expected of the 12, of the serious followers. He turns to the crowd. He turns to the whole assembled group, hundreds, thousands, whatever. He turns to every single person who's giving Jesus a look. And he says the very same thing to all of them. This isn't a message of commitment or discipleship. It's boilerplate Christianity 101. You accept me at this level, Jesus says, or keep walking. Keep walking. But you can't have a blend of both. He says to the crowd, first thing here, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Wow. How do you, man, when you read that, and I'm sure for the guys hearing this for the first time, and man, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the many times I've read this, this is like, whoa, how do you reconcile this? What does he really mean by that? This is the same guy that said they're going to know you're my followers by your love one for another. Man, love is to be the, the, the denotive factor. It's, it's to be that aura and air about us. Man, to be lovers of all and especially of our families. How do we reconcile these things? You know, I think there's uh, one thing that to me is very helpful. If you turn back to the book of uh, Exodus. And we'll see here in the book of Exodus something that to me uh, helps me unravel this. Exodus chapter 20, this is God giving the law to Moses. And, uh, you know, if I was giving the law to Moses, I would probably start uh, over here in in Exodus chapter 20. I would probably start with honor your father and mother. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Don't cover your neighbor's wife and house and everything else. I would probably give those man-to-man relationship uh, issues a priority because I'm a man. But God is different than me. God's different than us. And so God, in giving the Ten Commandments, it does say something. As to the order, the very first one, Exodus 20, verse 3, God says to Moses, you shall have no other gods before me. Do you know what God's saying there? I want no competition. I want nobody close. I don't want to be first on your list. I am the list. I am the list. You'll have no other gods around me. I don't want any competition in your hearts and your minds. You know, I've heard this thing, well, God's first, and then my family, and then my country, and then my job, then my, then my, then my, then, you know, the listing type of thing. God's saying, just keep it all. Just keep it all. If I'm only first on your list, don't even play games with me then. I am the list. I am the consuming passion of your heart. I'm the one you long for. I'm the one you wake up thinking about. I'm the one you walk before. You want to please. You want to hear from me well done more than you want to hear from your sons and daughters. Or spouse, I want you to be consumed with me. That's what I want. That's what Jesus is saying here. You know, I've got a wife, and you know, when we were in New Guinea, it wasn't really an issue. But uh, now we're back in the states, and we live with we live in a regular neighborhood, kind of like Bakersfield here, and uh, out there in the burbs uh, where we live. You know, we got neighbors now that look like us, and we got oh, right next door to us. We got Thor and Diane across the street. We got Ron and Heather. We got a couple of school teachers over here, and we got regular neighbors now instead of the Teddies that were all over the village and all in our house and things like that. Well, you know what? Hey, uh, Diane and Heather, pretty attractive ladies. How do you think it would go over with my wife if I did something like this? Honey, Beth, you know, uh, meet me at the house at 3 o'clock. Uh, Heather's going to be here. Diane's going to be here. And uh, I just want to clarify some things. And if I would say, my wife is there, and Heather and Diane. Honey, you're my wife. I love you. You're just like number one to me. I, I love you know, man, growing old with you and serving with you, having babies with you, someday dying with you. The whole thing. It's just been a great run, and I hope, it, I hope we just... Both go out on the same day. But if it doesn't work out, Heather would be a, a, a real fine number two. <laughs> yeah, because we got some things in common. We, you know, we have fun together. And you know, Heather would work out to be number two. And if that doesn't work out, hey, Diane's an obvious number three. I tell you what, I'd be castrated in about 30 seconds or less. Seriously, my wife doesn't. Why, my wife, probably like a lot of wives in here, wants every other female dead. Okay. She wants me to have eyes for her. There's no list that she wants to be number one on. She's it. She is it. That's what Jesus is saying here. Are you consumed with me? 
Are you a person of, of mixed emotions, mixed directions, mixed signals? All of, are you consumed with me? Do I mean more to you than every other relationship out there? If not, keep building houses, keep fishing, keep collecting tax, keep doing what you're doing because you're not a follower of me. That's what Jesus is saying here. I am everything to you. I'm the one you're planning on hearing from. Well done. Or I'm nothing. There's no middle ground. We live in a very moderated society. We live where balance is worshipped. Truly, it's worshipped. And Jesus is saying, well, keep your life then. Keep your life. Because I want people that have lost it all for me. They want me and nothing else. They need nothing else. That's what he said to the masses. And, and, and you know, they're probably like, whoa, whoa. They're, they're not figuring this out, I'm sure. And then he, turned, and he says more. He says, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. <laughs> you know, when we talk about crosses today, we think about the ones hanging around our neck. Is it gold, silver? Jesus on it. Jesus off it. Big loops of the chain, silver chain. You know, w- w- you know all these aesthetic issues, maybe an olive wreath wrapped around it. Man, that's kind of cool because it covers both bases. It's like, you know, edgy, but it's like peace, you know, maybe a dove on the cross. You know, we got all kinds of things. Go, hey, go down to your Zonovan bookstore. Check out the different ways you can get a cross. That's cool, man. Cross, yeah, cool. That's, yeah, good stuff. When he said this to those guys, there was only one thought. We're dead men. We're dead men. To pick up your cross means that your life is over. Guys that picked up crosses were dead within about 72 hours if they took a long time to die. Sometimes earlier, sometimes a little longer. But they were dead. They weren't making plans for the future. They weren't thinking about their kids. They weren't thinking about all the affairs of North. They were dead men. It's just a matter of how long is it going to take for me to die on that cross. We're dead men. (laughs) That's what Jesus said to the group. Yes, understand that. You want to be a follower of me? It's going to be the end of your human relationships, having supremacy in your life and in your emotions. It's going to be the end of your lives, your dreams, your ambitions, your goals. Yeah, that's what it is to follow me. That wasn't spoken to the 12. Man, I'm sure, I'm sure that as Jesus is talking to the group, no matter how large or small they were, he's seeing the reactions. He's seeing the buzzing comments going back and forth. Like, what is this guy? Man, he, he heals the sick. He raises the dead. You know, he feeds the thousands. You know, he's a great teacher. But man, what is this stuff? He, man, every once in a while, he just blows us away with stuff like this. What's he really mean? And so Jesus, man, maybe to help them figure out, help the, he, he was going to give an illustration here. Okay, you think you misheard me? You think I'm maybe exaggerating or you heard me wrong? L- let me give you an illustration. So he says this in verse 28. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish and so Jesus is saying, don't be stupid, don't be retarded, don't be ignorant, don't be foolish, don't be whatever else you want to put in there. Think this through. You did not hear me wrong. You heard me quite correctly. It will cost you everything to name my name. Think it through because you're going to be hearing nothing from me. You're going to be hearing nothing but this. Die to that, die to that, die to that, die to that. Man, you, you know the, the 11 disciples that continued on with them? Judas, of course, went out and hung himself. The other ones were all martyred except for John. Rumor has that they tried to boil him in oil. The legacy that Jesus not only modeled, but he left behind. That's, that's what you bought into. 
Do you want to name the name? Do you want to name the name? Folks, this is, see, when we understand who's doing the talking, what he expects from every follower, everyone who names the name, then it's not going to be a problem to see the world evangelized. Then whether we die a slow death here in Bakersfield, making 80,000 and living on 15 or 20 or whatever it takes and nothing more. When we do away with our retirement dreams, when we fit, when we realize I never get to stop working, man, that, that big vacation that, you know, no, that's done. That's over. Everything is his. When we stop longing for our kids to grow up and buy the house next door to us so that we can see and fondle the grandkids every day. Hey, I'm wired that way too. We all are. When we finally come to the point that I'm entitled to nothing of that. My life is for his purposes. Seeing the gospel penetrate every people group, every ethnicity really won't be a problem. We won't be able to hold the amount of students stepping forward to get trained and to do this. And I'm talking about other organizations too. Mission boards will be overflowing. And there won't be a need for guys from here to go all over the country to raise support. Because every person here will be living a soldier lifestyle. Why? Just, just to be ascetic? No. Because we're following the orders of our commander in chief. And we're living out the model that he gave to us. We're living on only what we need. And then we send to accomplish this goal. This is what Jesus is talking about. He says, man, you're my bot people. If you're going to call my name, this is what it costs. Yes, think it through. Think it through. Did you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ? And how do you define Lord? It's not Lordship salvation. It's just talking about who he is. He is the king of kings. There's no first and second level of accepting Jesus. We accept him as to who he is and we bow before him for the rest of our lives. Or we just got religion. We just cleaned our act up. Man, we had a lot of guys that came to our youth group, cleaned their act up for a year, two years, three years, went on with their life. And man, they're, they're not, some of them stayed clean. You know, and the religion aspect of it got less and less. They're just really good people. They're good, solid Americans. Well-rounded people. We're raising up some well-rounded kids. I hear that a lot. Doesn't, doesn't God just want us to raise up well-rounded kids? Guys, he wants so much more. Where are the soldiers? You know, we have young people here. We have people that have kids, you know, that, that are in the homes. We have people that are, that are older and their kid-raising years are done. I realize that. But, folks, what do we want for our kids? Do we want to raise up men and women of faith who will hazard their lives for the king of kings? Yes, and it will be painful here below. Man, I, I can attest to that. That's what Jesus is saying, though. Think it through. It's going to cost you the normal relationships that everybody on the street can have. That's what they can expect. Not you. You're a follower of me. You're a follower of me. Jesus goes on. He gives another illustration. Kind of saying the same thing. Think it through. Think it through. Verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him at 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Think it through. You have no chance. 10,000 loses to 20,000 every single time. To the person who tries to tack Jesus onto their life, he will be found out. She will be found out. You bought into a theology. You bought into a system. You bought into a religion. You never bought into me. You will be found out. Think it through. And folks, I tell you what, it's a message for the American church because we have so many ways of becoming Christians now. It's quite convenient. It disrupts nothing. And it doesn't find its roots here. Jesus said, think it through. It will find you out. 10,000 loses. 
man, the one who tries to attach Jesus to his life, you're probably gonna, you're not getting Jesus. That's for sure. And you're probably robbing yourself of some of the fun toys that the world could have out there trying to balance this balanced Christian life. And then he goes on and he says this. Verse 33, in the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. <laughs> I want to assure you, I didn't crawl around, you know, in your homes last night, you know, in the houses in Bakersfield and scratch out the verse that was there and write that one. And I didn't write that stuff. Jesus actually said that. I remember uh, speaking on this passage years ago in Mexico and a lady came up to me. I, I, I try to offend people equal. I told Chad, yeah, uh, you know, I don't want to offend just the young guys here and I don't want to offend just the old guys. Hopefully everybody is equally offended. Uh, but uh, it seemed to have a worse effect on, on ladies. And this lady came up. She was quite agitated with me. And, uh, and she stuck her finger. I get a lot of fingers. And she stuck her finger on my face. She said, are you saying that we need to give up everything? I said, no, ma'am, I, I am not saying that. Jesus is saying that. Folks, we need to get our heads around that. We need to make that the message of the day. Let's read it again. In the same way, as I've been saying to you propositionally and through illustration, in the same way, any of you, not any of them, not these guys, you, any of you, of Sovereign Grace Church of Bakersfield, any of you who've been Christians for 10 years and heard 50,000 messages and have read many Christian books, who have great kids, have a retirement packet, any of you who does not give up, not willing, please don't insert the word willing in there. We need to be willing to do this. Jesus never talked in those terms. Any of you who does not give up everything, your dreams, your goals, your entitlement relationships, your right to X, Y, and Z. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. He doesn't say it's rare. He doesn't say it's hard. Can't be done. When we walk through this life with expectations, any expectation other than I want to be pleasing to him, I am consumed with his will. I am consumed with being obedient to him. Can't be a disciple. Can't be a disciple. Now, we are all men and women in process. None of us have arrived at this. None of us are there. Man, we are all fighting that struggle with these fallen bodies that we have that get captured. The eyes get captured. The mind gets captured. Man, other parts of this. Man, we are in a battle, folks. I am not there. But is this the longing of your heart? Are you eradicating? Are you doing battle with these selfish desires that we all have? Or do you think it's just fine? I'm an American. I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been this for whatever. When we, when we stop doing battle with the selfishness of our flesh and we start caving in, maybe we have to find out that now we're not a follower of Jesus. We went through a very religious phase we have a great affinity for the church. But I have these demands. They're quiet. I wouldn't voice them. But I have certain expectations. I just won't let go of. I just won't let go of. You know, I uh, was speaking at a, it was actually a camp, kind of like a Chad's up there, uh, except it was a, a church-wide camp. And I was, this actually took place in the mountains outside of L.A. And I was there with these folks for a few days. We were talking about missions. I mean, that's what people ask me to talk about most of the time. And I, you know what? I've gotten to actually do men's conferences before. I love that. 
You know, missions is edgy. Man, people get upset at you when you talk about missions. Missions is like come and die. And you don't make a lot of friends talking about this stuff, okay? Man, you go to a men's conference. We talk about how to be a dad, you know, and how to be a better husband. We sing kumbaya. We play football games. You know, we eat like crazy. And, it, man, you got like 50 new friends when you're done with men's conferences. You come in and they say, would you talk about missions? Oh, yeah, okay, sure. I'll make 50 more enemies, yeah. Uh, and so I got done with, you know, talking about missions for a week at this churchwide conference. And this lady, uh, young lady, she's in the, you know, early 20s, uh, she'd been uh, going back and forth. Yeah, God, I, I know God wants me to do this. Yeah, no, I can't. You know, and I, man, I empathized with her fears and, you know, tried to continue to keep God's word before. And she came up to me on a Friday, end of the conference. And uh, you know what she said to me? After doing battle for a week with God and his word and his spirit and who was talking to her, she said this, I know I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I know the need out there. I know I could do it. I know I am like 1A. I got my draft notice from God. I know it's what I should. And she's been telling me that all week long. But the fears rose up, the dreams that she couldn't let go of. And she was going to console herself for the rest of her life, 60 years, who knows how long. I know I'm saved. See, folks, here's the deal. We live in such a knowledge dichotomy. Yeah, here's, here's reality, and here's what I know. And we can read passages like what Jesus says here in Luke 14. And our fingers don't even begin to let go of the things that we have. Because I know I'm saved, and I would challenge you. If the Spirit of God isn't, in fact, prying your fingers, and it's a process, it takes time, but if the Spirit of God is not prying your fingers literally off of your children, your health, your house, your retirement, your goals, your future, if you can keep them like that, I would challenge you. Have you really met the King of Kings? Has he so captured your heart? Have you really understood gratitude? Do you realize where you were headed and that the creator of the ends of the earth came and died for you? He gives you breath today. He gives you a couple more minutes here below to serve him. And then it's over. Well, I've got, I, I know I'm saved. I didn't know if she was at all. I don't know if you can live with, with that tension for very long. I thank God for a youth pastor who taught us what it was to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He didn't wait. He didn't disciple us once we got to be five months in the faith. He didn't lure us in. Now, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. That kept me from becoming a Christian for months. From our youth group, we had nearly 50 guys uh, that stepped forward to take missionary training. We had over 30 guys from our youth group. And this is a funky Baptist church. It wasn't like some killer big church. It's the grounds are falling apart. If you visit our church, you won't even believe it. It's a, it's a heap. Okay. Uh, we have this ongoing struggle in our church because we've got this great view and that's all we've got. The buildings are falling apart and people want to maintain the buildings, but we've got all these guys overseas. See, we have 10% of our membership overseas as career missionaries and it puts a tremendous strain on our budget. And so you'll see it when you see the buildings. Uh, it's not much of a campus to look at. Uh, there's a lot of other hits. We have broken families. We've had uh, ones from our church that have died overseas. And, uh, and I know I'm talking to you guys that are, uh, some of you are looking at this. There's a huge price tag. I'll tell you what though, man, the, 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 the joy, the sense of privilege meant to represent the King of Kings and to be a church who's living not for asceticism's sake, but for our King's sake, living out a Spartan lifestyle, literally an enigma to your neighbors. 
for your king's sake so that you can send and send and send and send and send till it hurts. No, way beyond when it hurts. You know, I know I've used this illustration. Some of you have heard it, but it's a true story. The, The guy who taught me the most in my life about obedience was my father. And my father never came to know the Lord, but uh, <clears throat> he, was a, he, was, he was a really smart guy. Uh, he was a nuclear design engineer with the U.S. Navy. And he would go, I didn't know what my dad did as a kid. He was there when they blew off the first hydrogen bomb. They used to blow off atomic bombs out there in Nevada and uh, you know, Las Cruces, New Mexico. And then he'd go off to the South Pacific and blow off hydrogen bombs. I didn't know any of this as a kid. All I knew is that every few months uh, we were going down to the airport and uh, my dad would get on a, a you know, commercial airliner, go somewhere interior in America, then get a military transport and then go where he was going to go. And I didn't know any of that either, except that I'm just saying goodbye to my dad again. Saying goodbye to dad again. And he'd give me the last task that I was supposed to do. And I better get those things done by the time dad came back a few months later. That was going to be the first thing he asked me. Man, he could, he could remember stuff like that. Turn, if you would, to Second Timothy while I tell you this story. But I remember one day, I was about nine years old. We are at San Francisco International Airport. And my dad's always dressed in civilian clothes and uh, getting ready to say goodbye. And I had to ask my dad. I was old enough to be thinking this through and realizing not every kid in my school lives like this. And I asked my dad, I said, Dad, what's up with this? What's this about? There's a lot dad couldn't tell me. But you know, my unsaved father, my unsaved father said to me, man, it burned its way in. He said, son, I'm a soldier. I go where they tell me to go. I stay as long as they tell me to stay. I come back when they tell me to come back. Okay. I get it. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy. Second Timothy chapter two. Verse three. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs He wants to please his commanding officer. Why don't we get involved in civilian affairs? Because all civilian affairs are evil and sinful? Nah. Nothing wrong with most of what the world does. Nothing wrong with most of what the church does. It's just distracting. It's distracting. And our commanding officer has left us behind with not suggestions. Hence, he's left us behind with clear orders. Take my gospel, take the message of my death, burial, and resurrection to the very ends of the earth. Every people group, every tongue, tribe, and nation. He's been real clear. He gave us orders. Do you know the difference? (laughs) Again, I, I know this is not news to you. But the difference between a soldier and a mercenary. Mercenaries go where they want to go. When they like, when they want to go, if they like the odds, if they like the situation, if they like the pay, they come back when they want to come back. Mercenaries call all the shots. They're in control. Soldiers have no rights. Soldiers are under orders. They don't call shots. Folks, man, we're in danger of acting like a church overall, a church of mercenaries. Still somehow thinking that we're in control, that we have rights, that we have normal expectations, that our dreams don't need to maybe go up in flames, that I, I should have this. We've been modeled that ad nauseum. We see it all around us. We see it in the church. We see models of that, pictures of that. In fact, there's Christian. I I remember speaking at one Christian college. 
and talking about this very subject. Die to your dreams, guys. Embrace his dream. He's got a dream. I know you've got your dreams. They're not all bad dreams. Very few people want to be coke dealers for Jesus and crack addicts and prostitutes. That's, that's probably nobody's dream. You know, do that for Jesus. We've got dreams and most of them are good. Die to them. I had a dream. I want to serve for God. Nothing wrong with that. Die to it. Die to it. Embrace his dream. I was preaching this at a Christian college in Southern California. And uh, I got done uh, talking to the student body there. And Dean of Ed comes up afterwards and he prayed in closing. And he turns to me and just starts laughing. He says, man, what you talked about, the president of our college just got done writing a book saying exactly the opposite. Find out your dream and do it for God. Find out what you're good at and do it for God. Well, Paul was good at persecuting Christians. Peter was good at fishing. I was good at surfing. It's just walk away. No, it's not. It's just another form of do your thing for God. No, do God's thing for God. Do God's thing for God. I've seen people that were, were gifted used in mighty ways. I've seen people that weren't gifted used in mighty ways. And don't bow before your dream. Don't worship your gift. Man, find out what your father's passionate about. And then as a good soldier, step up. There's a lot, of, a lot about obedience here. I realize that. But we need to get, start working ourselves away from this thing of the call. There's a lot of confusion on the call. I meet young people all the time. Well, I haven't felt, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You know, I'm not even sure I married the right woman. I'll be honest with you. 32 years I've been married to her and it's working out okay. I'm not sure. There's very few things we're sure of. One and one is two. I'm sure about that. Was I supposed to be in New Guinea? I don't know. I never saw sky riding. I remember going to my youth pastor because I began to hear about this and people in the church began to come up to me and say, Brad, that's so cool. You've been called to missions. I didn't know what they were talking about. And uh, so I started asking, you know, guys in the youth group, I'd say, man, what, what are they talking about? A call. Well, that's like when, you know, Jesus comes into the room and he shakes the bed, wakes you up or an angel comes in and he whispers something in your ear. The call. There's a lot of confusion about the call. Uh, you know that most people that got called in the scriptures didn't obey. Moses got called. Moses, go back there to Egypt. What did he say? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm not really good with my tongue. I don't think so. I don't know your name. I don't think so. I'm afraid. I don't think so. And finally, God puts Moses in the half Nelson, slams him to the mat, says, do it. Man, God called out there to Jonah. And Jonah goes exactly the opposite direction. I don't think so. The call has not been incredibly effective throughout the history of the church. What's been effective? Obedience. Grunt. Raw, brutal, I'm scared to death. I don't want to do it. Obedience. God is honored in such things. When we die to every intuitive cell in our body, we go against our self-preserving nature because our king is worth it. Our king is worth it. I've seen guys that got called. And when, you know what? They get out to the field and, uh, man, their call turns into the same kind of fear I have. Folks, our king is worth it. I would challenge it again today as a church. Uh, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up ones. Raise your sons and daughters in light of this. Model for them. You young parents, model this type of Christianity for them. Don't give them another version. Don't give them a placebo. Don't give them a feel-good Christianity. Because you know what, guys? I, I know this sounds crazy, but we've got a blink of an eye. A blink of an eye to serve our king with. And then it's over. It's done. It's, you ain't getting it back. And all we do man, is look at his glory in heaven. Man, our, our years will be done. I want to go back to that passage, Luke 14. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. You know, I remember, uh, I'll close with this. Uh, I was 18 years old and I got on the train, scared to death. Um, 
and, and left San Diego to go back east to go to missionary training. And uh, going up from that uh, from San Diego train station, I had to go to L.A. first, and I'd catch a train in L.A. to go back east. It was going to be the first time I'd ever been back east. All I heard about was race riots and things like that. But uh, I'm, I'm sitting up by the uh, near the window seat, and I'm looking out the, the window of the train car at, at all these surf spots that I'd surfed as a kid. Man, there's Encinitas, there's Del Mar, Torrey Pines, Trestles, and uh, the different contests, the different fun days. And I'm looking at these locations as we're, and I'm dying. I'm just dying. And you know what I said? I, for an 18-year-old kid, it was a pretty noble thing. It might sound silly now. But I said, God, if I never surf again, that's okay. That's okay. And that was a big thing to me. That had been life itself. And... Uh, Forgot about that and went back east, did the training thing, went our 20 years in New Guinea. It was the year 2001. Uh, I guess that's what, like 23 or what, 27 years later. And you know, it, it was a, the next time I thought of that was in 2001, and the setting was this. I was sitting on my surfboard off the Hoya Shores, and there were my three sons sitting out there with me, my three boys. Uh, all on their boards and we're trash talking like, you know, fathers do with their sons, you know, and ripping each other up, uh, catching waves and, you know, pulling on each other's leashes to mess each other up. And uh, we're just having a great time, man, a dad and his three boys. And I thought of that. I thought, God, you're a wonderful God, man. You gave it back to me in your time. And you know what? It was really funny because I suck now at surfing. You know, it's just like, it's pretty, it's pretty much of a joke. Uh, man, my turns are slow. Uh, man, I'm not hitting the right line off the lip. Three, forget any of the dramatic surfing stuff that you see in the magazines. That's not me. Man, I'm the king of the longboard. Now just sit, just move out boys. I'm coming down. But you know, guys, 27 years later, God's a good God. He's a wonderful God. He's not out to break you and put you in the mortar and pestle and grind you into dust. His plans toward you aren't evil. He's not wanting to see how much pain can you go through. How tough are you? That's not the nature of our God. And we bought into a bunch of lies that God just out to break you and abolish your life and make it one of horror. He does want to use you and you will have to redefine many terms. What is blessing? What are good days? What is joy? What is contentment? What is peace? What is satisfaction? You will probably have to redefine every one of those terms. But let me tell you, you walk before a good God. I remember sitting there with my boys and we're just surfing and having a great time and realizing God gave it back. God gave it back in his time, the place of his choosing. You know what? Some of the things that you lay before his feet, you will never get back. That's fine. You're going to learn to live without him. And you're going to learn to see the face of your God in a way that you can never get by just reading more books. To completely surrender before the feet and face of your God. Then he looms up as giant and fulfilling and satisfying in a way that you can only get at his feet. Folks, I don't regret at all. Are there things I want? Dreams? Yeah. I still dream about having all my kids live next door to us. Our our two older sons are now back in New Guinea. All of our grandkids are there. We don't get to see them much. Uh, Yeah. That's what heaven's for. Heaven's where we retire Heaven's where we get our reward. That's where we rest. Folks, let's work till we drop for our king's sake and for he, what he has left us behind to do. Pray that some of these guys here would step out. Pray that you would have casualties. Pray that God would make this thing come alive to you as a church. That we might be all as a church, not just found pleasing to him, but because there are literally millions and billions of men and women made in the image of our God who've never heard the wonderful life-giving name of Jesus. Thanks for letting me come and talk to you today.
I, re- I remember when Brad, uh, I, I asked him if he enjoyed Papua New Guinea and missed it and uh, years ago, and he said, no, um, I don't miss that place at all. Um, and uh, in, at the time, it's not a great place to live. And um, I said, well, why did you stay? He said, you know, I had 5,000 reasons to, you know, to leave and, and one reason to stay. Jesus commands it. And uh, that blew me away when I heard that the first time. And, and Jesus deserves it. And at the end um, of our days, when we stand before God in the kingdom and the scrolls are open and he sits in judgment, this is what it said our, the song will be. Here, here's what it says. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you, speaking of Jesus, to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped really this is our time to worship the lord um, for who he is he is the lamb who was slain to ransom to pay the price to buy people from every tribe and nation and tongue he did that and he deserves um, our worship as a result of it and because he's bought us out and so as we come up here for communion and as you uh, partake in it during the next three songs, I, I remind you this is for believers. This is an opportunity for us to come forward and remember how Jesus gave his life to buy us back, to redeem us, um, and that he owns us and our lives are for him. So let's take the time to do that as we sing um, the next three songs of the band come forward and, and um, worship him. Let me pray.